Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So for anyone who um, likes me less than Brad and Evan, but are willing to negotiate your opinion, I will tell you this. The only way Brad was going to agree to do the opening for this episode is if he could talk about football. And as I was opening, Evan was filling out his unsubmitted scorecards for his last uh, week of golf. So I just want to say, who's committed here? The Red Wings don't play a game till December. The NFL season starts tomorrow. Be relevant, Ryan. Oh, I'm aggressively irrelevant. Um, best NFL fan. Why is your name best NFL fan? Because I cheer for the team with the best NFL fan base. Do you want to tell a story? Not really, but they oh, won okay. the they won the the big bracket for best fans in the league. Anybody who's following it knows what it's about. If not, I don't feel like explaining it. People who uh, like to be happy don't follow the Buffalo Bills. I'll this is a true fact of life. There's a reason we're so angry at folding tables because we're good enough people to not hit each other, but we need to hit something. There's a reason I'm angry today, and it's because the Arizona Coyotes have robbed us of an opportunity to laugh at anything this year. I know. I don't even, I don't know if it would have went well. I don't know if it would have went poorly. It would have went God- poorly. Oh, it would have definitely went poorly. And it would have been a circus. And could you imagine the stories that would have come out from behind the scenes like five years after it happened? Could you imagine? Just, they're like, yeah, by the end of his tenure, he was just rocking in the corner of his office, just saying, Lawson Krauss, Kingston Frontenacs, Lawson Krauss, Kingston, Kingston, Lawson Krauss. That's his bedtime routine right now. Jacob Chikrin, uh, Sarnia Sting. Pierre Maguire is no longer being considered uh, for GM of the Arizona Coyotes. He was a finalist, though, apparently. So one of these days, Pierre, you're going to get another chance to destroy a franchise. Imagine if Pierre lost out because Peter Shirelli got the job. Oh, that would have been sweet. But Shirelli wasn't, uh, he's not in it either at this point. I know, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. It's 2020 after all. Evan, have you been ruled out yet? They haven't told me I've not been. They haven't told you that you've not been ruled out? Correct. <laughs> I think you should double back with them and get some better information about <laughs> Don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> uh, maybe that was an interview question. They saw how confused he got. He's like, oh, man, this is the right guy for the job. The last person we had was some kind of brainiac. I hated that dude. <laughs> well... Now that we're kind of back on hockey, welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm aggressively tired. I'm Evan. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we will be talking about uh, the playoffs. We are now into the um, conference finals here, which is, uh, it's been, you know, one, ga- one game's been great and the other game has been not great. Um, three games, Ryan. Two of these games have been, eh, eh I don't know. <laughs> The Vegas Dallas series isn't inspiring me right now, but I digress. Um, We are going to be talking about uh, a lot of prospect stuff, not only today's prospect profile, which is none other than Alexander Holtz, and I will do my best to not call him Raymond Holtz, Um, Alexander Holtz, but we will be talking about Lucas Raymond as well because he seems to be uh, the topic du jour because uh, as predicted, the Swedish uh, Hockey League is up and running. Um, 
they just finished up the preseason today and he is getting a ton of exposure and now there's a lot of Lucas Raymond chatter coming up again. So uh, we'll be talking about that. And, and do not think that if the Red Wings do pick Lucas Raymond, we won't be claiming unbelievable hipster status on that one. <laughs> I don't know if I will. We'll, we'll, we'll no, we will. Into that. We will. We liked Lucas Raymond before it was cool and everybody will know it and we'll be annoying about it. Well, I mean, Yoki the other day was, he said, I've never, I've had Lucas Raymond as my third best prospect for some time now. So yeah, so there, there are definitely those who haven't wavered. Um, and then we will be getting into overtime. So uh, the NHL playoffs conference finals, kind of surprised it's already here. Kind of surprised we're three games in as evidenced by the fact that I thought we were only two games in and the fourth game is actually being played right now. Um, first game, Dallas, Vegas was so boring. That was a crappy hockey game, right? There was a goal and it came two minutes into the game. Yeah. That was kind of annoying to watch. And then the Uh, Tampa Islanders game was crappy for whole other reasons. (laughs) Tampa, Tampa without Stamkos playing a like surprisingly strong team that excelled at shutting down offense in a mo- in the most frustrating way they just trampled them i was not predicting that at all you ever seen the national geographic documentaries where killer whales will just yeet seals like 50 feet in the air because they want to play with them before they actually go in for the kill yeah that's what that game felt like yeah yeah the it didn't really match up to like the level of hockey those teams were playing in the previous rounds like either of them it was very, very funny to watch. Um, I like the Islanders, and I like to see them like succeed in terms of you know outperforming their expectations and their expectations and everything. But it very much was like a wake up call where it was Tampa Bay saying, "Oh no, we are substantially better than you. <laughs> We're going to run your shit this series." What was the final score? Like eight two. Yep. That's nuts. Yeah, it's, it it's was one one uh, right now in game two of that series. They won with a touchdown and a two point convert, and the Islanders managed to pull off a safety. No Steven Stamkos. No Steven Stamkos. You can tell they definitely benefited from getting to the Edmonton bubble yeah. early and the, the the rest um that the Islanders weren't uh, able to get. Cause they just they put a beat down on them and then this game tonight looks a little bit closer. Well, so far it is, but looks like there's yeah. two teams out there now. Did you see the uh the rumblings going around that People have noted that the Edmonton bubble is definitely not as nice as the Toronto bubble. Really? I'm surprised. Yeah. Toronto is better than, than Edmonton? How could we have known? Can you imagine being one of the teams that was always in the Edmonton bubble and having these new kids come in going, oh, this place sucks. And they're like, wait, your place is better? You guys got hand soap? <laughs> you guys get beds? You guys are getting paid for this? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <sighs> And it's funny, like people were talking about it, like half the league showed up there and complained about it. It was only Tampa and the Islanders. They were the only two teams that moved. So we know who's complaining. Yeah. Yeah. I'd complain I would do. I don't know if I lived in like sunny, beautiful Florida or literally New York City. I'd probably have higher standards as well, although. The Islanders play at the Bar- at uh, Barclays Center or whatever it's called, so that place isn't so great. 
I know it sucks being away from your family and all that, but this is where like the poorsman in me just gets bitter. It's like, oh, your poor life with all these catered meals in your luxury hotel with your free activities. How rough that must be. And then I remember, right, a lot of these guys are missing their families, so I'm an asshole for thinking that, but I still think it. Right. How many games of spike ball can you really play before you're like, all right, you know, <laughs> kind of done. I'd like to go sleep in my own bed now. Quite a Do lot. I- Actually, speaking of uh, the Vegas series, Robin Lehner, after his win, after his shutout, was like, yeah, I'm going to go play some Warzone with Alex Tuck. I was like, that's heard that's a lot cool. of guys are playing Call of Duty right now, which is yeah. no surprise. Well, if it's got in-game purchases, Robin Leonard's going to be able to afford a lot of them very soon from the sounds of it. It's funny because Marc-Andre Fleury hasn't been bad since he was bad earlier on. Like, he's been perfectly fine. He let in one goal and lost the game. And if you're a goalie and you let in one goal and lose the game, it's not your fault. But then Robin Leonard did did him one better and let in zero goals. Like, Robin Lehner has just been absolutely phenomenal and put up another shutout. And now, yeah, as Brad mentioned, he and Vegas are linked to a long-term deal. Five by five is what I heard. Five by five is what was reported today. No confirmations on that yet for what it's worth, but it did come from a couple of pretty reputable sources. So that is a nice deal for Vegas in my mind. That is a great deal. That takes him till 34. If you can get a long-term deal done with a legit starting goalie and you're getting him for only $5 million, roughly one Tyler Bertuzzi, and you don't have to sign him past age 35, I mean, those last couple of years might be a little risky, but as we've seen time and time again, most goalies make it to their mid-30s just fine. Not yeah. all, but most. I mean, that's a fantastic deal for Vegas. Um, although they are adding money to their cap, which means Flurry probably gotta go. They're gonna have to move Flurry. In all like does Marc Andre Flurry come to Detroit? Uh, <laughs> y- you you laugh. I it sounds ridiculous to me too, but where else is he going? Because there's not a lot of teams that, A, want to sign a goalie for 6 or $7 million, whatever he's making. There's even less teams that are wanting to trade for a goalie that makes that much money, especially one who hasn't been good. So, you know, my first thought every... My first thought every time a good goalie goes on the market or a perceived good goalie goes on the market is, oh, Alberta. Um but yeah, I, I think they both those teams would be smarter to just go get a, a value goalie in free agency. How much is Marc Andre Fleury's uh, contract? It's a lot, isn't it? It's six or seven million. I can't remember exactly, but it's substantial. Like seven. it's not, it's not a contract Vegas is going to be able to trade and get an asset in return. At best, their option here, unless Kelly McCrimmon is a wizard, is here you can have him. Give us a conditional seventh and a team that's like. You know what? We got cap space and a real hole in net. Sure. Thank you. But in all likelihood, it's going to be like, hey, here's a fourth round pick and we'll retain two million. Can you please take him? It's and if two that's more the years scenario, at 7 was that two more years at seven million? And again, uh-huh. if the asset in return is coming back is pretty good, I would argue that should be Detroit because we're talking about taking on a million bad contracts and the Red Wings could use these players to fill every need. But I, for one, as not elite as they are generally, if we're going into next season with Bernie and Flurry, I don't hate it. That's oh. enough That's enough to keep us like from being as bad as we were last year, I would hope. 
Um, and again, if we're getting a a, a decent why kicker in that trade, Mark sure. On, why would Flurry waive his no modified no trade clause to go to Detroit? I don't know exactly with what yeah. he did with his agent, but yeah. what, with with what he did with his agent, there's no way he's then going to say no. I demand to stay in Vegas, right? Like he's got to see the writing on the wall. Yeah, imagine I'm not doing anybody any nice favors just so that they can improve. Well, I would if, way rather stay in Vegas and ride the bench and make seven million bucks. Yeah, but that's the thing though. A guy like Flurry is going to want to play, and he's and Alan Walsh knows that. If Alan Walsh walks in and goes. Yep, uh, Mark is uh, not going to go to the bottom 10 teams. Here are the teams, and McCrimmon will go, cool, I have offers from an Ottawa and Detroit. So would he like to be the most expensive backup in the league and play 15 games this year, or does he want to play? And again, a guy like Flurry, I would think, would want to play, but there's, you never he's know. He's played on good teams his whole life, though. Like Evan actually makes a good point. There's going to have to be some noodling. He has not to make he has work. not played on good teams his whole life. When he got he to has. Pittsburgh, they were a dumpster fire for yeah, three for years. Like, yeah, a little while. Then they won three cups. Yeah, and like, then they got good, but they were not good for a good chance. I'd say I'd say that's a small amount of time. He it is a relative that. to his career, yes, but he has played in some some tough times. Let's say the clause isn't an issue. Two more years at $7 million. He's 35 years old. He's not been particularly great as of late. Um, what would you demand in return? Full $7 million coming back for those two years. Uh, Vegas doesn't retain a single red cent. What would you demand if you're Steve Eisman? 2021 you- first round pick. Yeah, yeah, we can't make it easy on anybody. Like... Unless there's another suitor, which I don't think there will be with the amount of UFA goalies, like you got to start the market ultra high. And, and I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. And for every $2 million they retain, I will drop a round in the draft pick I request. What about uh, like a second, like a 2022 second round pick in like Zach Whitecloud or something? Nope. <laughs> this isn't yeah, making- all right. Good for a good conversation. Nope, yeah, it's, nice. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I White Cloud's a bottom pairing defenseman, a 2022 second round pick. Well, uh, I don't know how the Red Wings would feel right now about getting an asset two years out in the process of hoping to pull themselves out of a rebuild sooner than that. Um, nope. I don't think they need, won't, the, but they're going to aim to. Who needs a goalie really badly that isn't super interested in the ufa market alberta maybe this 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 has ken holland written all over it if i'm being honest See, they did they had the mike Ho- the mike smith experiment there last year he's brought in when he was in detroit he was loyal to jimmy howard to a fall he loves those you know he's gonna sign jimmy howard to back up koskinen no he's gonna sign jimmy howard to back up flurry all right i've got a, a more <laughs> reasonable i feel like the way we're wording this i feel like a three-way trade might be possible yeah right? with detroit being the the money takers and the picks and or a salary dump player and the name that jumps out to me right away if we're talking about edmonton is james neal he's got no no trade no move clause and he's making five seven five until the end of 22 23 Wait. 2023 is a little too long there. I don't think Detroit's going to want to retain part of Fleury's salary for Vegas. 
even if they're getting an asset, and then on top of that, acquire nearly six million dollars of James Neal. They would they have to be firsts. Yeah, the the return. It's only they'd three ha- years. They'd have to be getting a sizable return from both teams, and I don't see that happening. I think if you're looking for a long term bad contract at forward with a premium asset coming back, I think Kyle Turris would be a better fit than James Neal. But that's just me. The other one that kind of stood out to me, sorry, Ryan, the other one that kind of stood out to me was Carolina. Um, And the person I was thinking there was Nino Niederreiter. I don't know how he played this year with, with Carolina, but like they still have so many RFAs that they need to lock up in Svechnikov and Nikash. So I don't even know how that would really work out, but I'm, I'm not a GM, so that's not up to me, but <laughs> that's another, you know, maybe there's something potentially there that could be worked out, but Car- Carolina's not a team taking on $7 million right now. They're just- yeah. They would also need to do something with Mrazic or Reimer, Reimer. probably Reimer who's making more money, but not they've- significantly more. And they've already been linked to Frederick Anderson, which means they're probably going to be diving into the free agent market. So I I don't know. That's the problem is there's a lot of teams to me. The the list of teams that make sense for Marc-Andre Fleury, at least as a backup, is pretty lengthy. That list is almost completely wiped when you look at their cap situation. Exactly. That's the problem. The teams I'm looking at, they've got like a million bucks here and there, give or take. Like they would have to, it would take an Ocean's Eleven type move to make this work. I mean, well, look at what just Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford just did for the Leafs. So it's always possible. Actually, oh my God, big brain move. Do you know what would actually make sense? <laughs> Don't say send him back to the Leafs or the Penguins after they trade. Send him uh, back to the Penguins because they're getting rid of Jari or Murray. They've already said that they're going to need a backup. Wasn't how would uh, that morale boost be? Wasn't there a good quote from Rutherford about how he he knows the player in uh, Kapanen so that he's comfort with that tr- has comfortability with the trade? Evans on flurry. board. Let's go. Stupid. That actually brings uh, us to our next point: is that there's rumors that more than one team is going to be operating on an internal cap as low as like seventy million dollars. Yeah, big rich guys losing a ton of money due to a pandemic. This isn't surprising. I I bet you it will be a lot of teams. I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit is one of them because as yeah. much as as much as we're gung ho about Eiserman's going to bring in all these assets with bad contracts, Christopher Illich could be sitting there going, "We are broke. Nobody expects us to be good. So nobody's going to yell at us if we're 15 million under the cap this year." So let's um Let's keep that. Yeah, this can either be fantastic in a way that like we can't even process right now for Detroit or just such a huge wet blanket over the team. Detroit already has an advantage cap situation. The cap, the flat $81.5 million cap is already a hindrance to a lot of teams in this league. Um, they have moves to make. Like We just talked about one that Vegas would have to be making whether or not they have an internal cap. You add an internal cap to the mix and you have teams walking away from RFAs. You have teams having to move bigger contracts that they don't necessarily hate, but they can, they literally can't afford. That's where Detroit steps in. Or that's where Detroit says, no, no, no. You keep that guy that you kind of like that costs a lot of money. 
you give us this god-awful, untradeable contract, and we'll help you out. Vancouver's ripe for this, right? Mm-hmm. Vancouver just has Jim Benning for all the criticism we give him, which is fair because you don't sign those contracts and then walk away unscathed. He has to see the performance that Vancouver has put on and say, this team is so close to being a Stanley Cup favorite, except everything below the stars is a dead weight. And if he can go ahead and move a ton of those, like even two of those contracts and one or two moves, he changes the, the, the structure of that team and he wipes out a lot of the mistakes he made. It's going to cost him. It's going to cost him futures. Like it, he's going to have to mortgage futures, but this is where you mortgage futures. We always harped on uh, Ken Holland for mortgaging futures to extend the playoff streak, but Detroit's you know, star core was aging or retired or they just weren't there anymore. Vancouver's is young and they need money soon and they're still not even in their prime. Now is when you mortgage futures because you've already hit on Pedersen. You've hit on Hughes. You've hit on Besser. You have Markstrom and Demko. This is where you've you've hit so many times you can afford to give up those futures. You are now paying the price to make up for your mistakes. So if this internal cap is is affecting teams who are already in terrible situations like Vancouver or Vegas or whatever, I'm not going to say it's like Detroit won the draft lottery, but I would not be surprised if Eisman isn't looking at it with similar eyes. That said... We can't speak to what the ownership situation is like. We can't speak to the financials of the Illiches. Um, obviously, a very wealthy ownership family, but COVID doesn't really take any prisoners when it comes to like the economic downturn, right? So, uh, there, the ugly truth is that this might also affect Detroit. It's not like it, it, would it extend Detroit's rebuild by any number of years? Not really any worse than it's been right now, but it would legitimately just be a wet blanket. It'd be like someone dangling a shiny toy in front of us and then with our other hand just bitch slap us as hard as they can. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which is actually what uh, Brad and I do to Evan sometimes. He's pretty distracted by shiny. Like when we have keys, if you ever go to a meetup, you can see us dangling keys in front of him. We slap him to get him to focus. Just like my cat. Yeah. You slap your cat or your cat slaps you? No, I just dangle something jingly in front of him and it like that. Pays- mm. I do that with uh, my son. Oh, is he uh, is he sharp like that? Sharp like Evan? Yep. Yeah. Doesn't have the jawline though. Not yet. I know. I don't know. I, I'm going to live right now thinking that Detroit isn't going to have to operate under this internal cap. Although if they, because I like to be happy sometimes. Although if they did, it wouldn't really affect the team structure in any way. It just means that they would walk away from literally every RFA that's not named um, Bertuzzi or Mantha at this point. Like Fabry's already locked up. They don't care about Bowie or Ernie or Perlini or N or they'll probably walk from Timashov. Like that's all uh, immaterial to them. Well, well, yes and no. Uh, some of these guys, like the established NHLers, like uh, uh, Ernie, they might walk away from. But what's Timashov going to demand in a contract negotiation right now or Perlini? They're going to command barely above league minimum. So someone has to fill those roles, whether it's a dude coming up from Grand Rapids at 800,000 or it's Timoshov going in there at 950. Like, I don't think even if the Red Wings are under a tight cap that they're going to squabble over 200,000 per player. So I don't, I don't know how much I buy into that for the Red Wings, let alone any other team. Are they really going to cut or let walk a, a usable, decent player, especially if they're under the age of 25 to replace them with 
what Turner Elson or Dominic Turgeon? No. What's I, the net difference on this team? <laughs> oh no, there's there's not a huge net difference, but then you have to replace those guys in Grand Rapids. It's just a cycle of replacing minimal uh, like minimal impact players with other minimal impact players for minimal impact dollars. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, you no, keep, that's fair. When they're when they're at the bottom of the lineup, you just keep the guys you like and get rid of the guys you don't. It doesn't make a difference. Like Adam Ernie's done enough in the NHL, he could probably justify like over a million, which isn't saying a lot, but yeah, okay, fine. You you could probably save like six hundred thousand off of him. Yeah, okay. If you do that off him and like two other players, that adds up. But yeah, Timashov, uh, Christopher N, those just keep them. Who cares? You also don't get the impression that they are working with that seventy million dollar cap. I understand that the Fabry signing was small, like it's not a huge hit to the cap. It's just under three million, but you also don't see. I don't know. I, I don't think that sends a signal that this team is has that to be worried about. I think it's more of the fringe um, ownership groups or, or teams in non-traditional hockey markets that maybe have a harder time drawing revenue. That, that, that's what I anticipate. So, And again, just because I like to lie to myself and not have to face harsh realities more than I need to in this wretched year, let's look at this as an a huge – this is like Detroit's amazing opportunity with the, the flat cap on steroids – if this $70 million rumor is true, I think Drager was talking about it. Uh, um, I was told on Twitter by Nick. Um, it's not really out there yet, but it's kind of what we all expected. But here's the catch 22 of this all. How many teams can even get to 70 million? There's not enough assets in the world to give away to get two thirds of this league down to 70 million. Yeah, but you're talking to real numbers, right? You're not exactly talking cap hit. So. If someone has a, a high dollar this year because, you know, signing bonus or something like that, but their uh, cap hit is lower, then you can still see them being moved. Yeah, it, but that, that generally only applies to the players who have recently been signed because almost no contracts back heavy, right? So yeah. the, generally players who get signed recently don't get traded because the team likes them or else they wouldn't have signed them. Anyways, we'll see how it shakes out. Um we all know how this is going to end. There's going to be like a few like prime opportunities and Vancouver is going to choose to do nothing. And all the other teams that are strapped are going to get help from teams like Jim Rutherford helped Toronto and, and Vegas is going to get away scot-free and Detroit's not going to participate in any of these deals. Cause that's just how 2020 is. Yes. And we don't deserve to be happy. Um, okay. Uh, anything else uh, across the league worth talking about? Oh, uh, Bruce Cassidy was named a head coach of the year. He won the Jack Adams. That's- Two other finalists were Alain Vigneault out of Philly and John Tortorella was a fifth-time finalist out of Columbus. I have no idea how Tortorella didn't win that. Bruce Cassidy did a good job this year. I mean, he took his elite team to a president's trophy, but he had an elite team. John Tortorella was using the Lake Erie Monsters or the Cleveland Monsters for a good chunk of the year and got them into the playoffs. I mean, it it, it seems silly to me, but that's just me. I I thought this was going to be Tortorella in a landslide. I can never read the Jack Adams voting. It's like one year they give it to the coach whose team overperformed expectations and then next year they give it to the coach who has a team that has Marchand and Pasternak and you know um, 
all these other incredible players and they're the best team in the East year in and year out and Tuka Rask is playing out of his mind and then that coach wins it. And then it goes back to like Patrick Wall winning it. And you're like, what are you, what's your criteria here? Like what's going on? John Tortorella in my mind should have won at least one, if not two by now. Doesn't he have one? I think he's got two. <laughs> <laughs> I could have sworn towards that. Oh, I'm thinking of Babcock. I'm thinking of Babcock who had like Babcock was a longtime finalist without one. Uh, five years ago, we were stunned. Babcock never had a Jack Adams and we were upset about it. Now we're still stunned. Jack Adams, uh, Babcock never had a Jack Adams and we're happy about it. It's amazing how, how the times have changed. Everything balances out. You see, he got interviewed by Washington. Yeah. Screw the yeah. Capitals. Yeah, Torts has won twice. You guys are right. I can't believe I just mixed up him and Babcock in my head. So if you look at the voting, I I don't 100% understand it, but there was something like, I think there was 132 votes and 70 of them left him off the ballot. Which is insane. Do you even watch hockey at that point? That's why I like didn't understand. I was looking at this like, do I not understand how to read this? That like that is a substantial number of votes. That, something like that is how uh, Justin Verlander lost to Cy Young in a year where he should have clearly won it a while back. Um, two Florida writers, I think it was, or one Florida writer, left him off the ballot completely. He didn't give him a first, second, or third place vote just to favor. Um, I think it was like a Marlins pitcher or something. I can't remember the finer details or a Rays pitcher, and uh, that's what dropped Verlander down. And it was such a joke. I I hate, I don't mind writers and broadcasters voting. I think it was Dom Lutician or someone brought, brought this up. They were like, they shouldn't be allowed to vote for players within the team that they cover. Plain and simple. You should not be allowed to put them on the ballot. It's so heavily skewed and biased. And whether or not they're they're trying to be biased, there's so much confirmation and an exposure bias. You should not be allowed to vote for uh, Anthony Mantha if you are a broadcaster in Detroit. You should not be allowed to vote for Sidney Crosby if you're a broadcaster in Pittsburgh. It's you get crap like leaving Tortorella off the 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 ballot completely. You're telling me he doesn't deserve a third place vote. Maybe they saw it. They're like, oh yeah, Torts has three. Jack Adams and a bunch of these guys have none. And so why would I give Torts a third? But that shouldn't be relevant. It's like and when Drew Doughty got his Norris because he was due, even though Eric Carlson was better in just about every way imaginable that year. That's what it feels like to me as well. And, you know, if you subscribe to the best coach with the most wins, well, then why didn't John Cooper win it last year? Exactly. His team broke a whole ton of records and he didn't win. I think to Barry Trotz win it last year. I think so. Was it? No. Yeah. No. Last year yeah. was like no. seven decades ago. It feels like twenty. Uh, last year was Barry Trotz. Before that was Gallant. The year before it was Torts, and then Trotz, and then Bob Hartley with Calgary. Oh wow. boy, how'd that one work out? Yeah. Um. The year before was the infamous Patrick Waugh win. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Yeah, how'd I just that one work out? <laughs> that one's bad too. Yeah. I just don't get this one this year. And I think Columbus was like second or third in um, man games lost to injury. And when you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, that means you're I'm almost on the the call up sheet. That's yeah. 
after they lost to Shane Bobrovsky and Panarin, then yeah. all their key players get injured and miss significant chunks of the season. They're still tied for the last playoff spot at the time of the shutdown, and he, it's. I, I just I don't get it. The NHL awards have always been dumb. There's always a couple that are egregiously wrong every year. So whatever. At least they got the Masterton right this year. Dave Tippett got a good amount of votes, and I was like, why for having McDavid and Drysidle and coming fifth in the west like i don't really understand what he did that was special i don't think he's a bad coach but he didn't do anything noteworthy in my mind you think there's a lot of politics in these voting i think yeah yeah there's a lot of oh this guy deserves it uh he hasn't had one and there's a lot of like oh he's just a good guy like there's you get a lot of that with hockey like they'll make like that's when you give them like your third place vote not like keeping deserving recipients off your ballot they do that sports voting is notorious for that i don't know what better ways to do it there are like you can't just pull internally within the league and no league is going to pay for like rank ranking experts only like why would they do that writers do that for them for free but i don't know i i I do like the idea of them not voting for a guy in there uh that they cover but then i think you'll see more of them like intentionally leaving players off i just think it's stupid I like I like that a lot of them show their ballots to show that they're not fucking insane. Yeah. Like cuz they know that the awards are, are wrong and stupid and they're like it wasn't me. Do you see? Do you see? It feels like the only people who show their votes are the people who, you know, make the informed decisions because when half the people have Tortorella off their ballot, that makes me question my sanity or if I'm watching the same NHL that they are. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get the same people uh same people who are filling in ballots are the same people who are calling Tukarask a coward and saying they never want to see him again. Like it's, it's not exactly a high bar. Uh, there's no like morality test and there's no like, uh, here's how much you have to know about hockey tests. It's more about the organization that you're linked to. And, and I'm not saying like you have to be like writers are all dumb. No, most of the, most of them know exactly what they're talking about. Um, like for example, I trust Max's votes, but at the same time, like some ding dong from who cares, you know, USA is who doesn't cover anything other than, for example, the Boston Bruins doesn't like, it's very obviously biased. You can watch those bo- broadcasts, you read the writing, like it's very internally biased and anyone else is bad. Like I, I, that's something that I expect or like what happened to Justin Verlander um, when he lost out on the Cy Young, like that's what I expect. They're just going to make boneheaded decisions like that. And it, that's, that's why these, these awards are a farce. I wasn't old enough to remember exactly what happened at the time, but didn't Aginla lose the Hart Trophy back in, I want to say, 02 or 03 because a Montreal writer uh, left left him off the ballot entirely and he only needed one more point to win it over Theodore? Uh, Evan's about to look it up for you because if Jose, you weren't old uh, enough... Jose Theodore won that year, so that kind of yeah. that follows your theory. Yeah, Jerome Aginla was second. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not always writers too. Like sometimes it's GMs vote, and sometimes coaches vote, and sometimes players vote. But I don't know. I think you you often see that kind of petty crap, and that's why it's always easy to celebrate awards. But when you don't have them, I don't think it's worth beating yourself up over. Like Nicholas Lidstrom probably got one Norris late in his career that he it was likely a little bit of a legacy pick. But think of how many he didn't win when he realistically should have. Yeah, awards are always annoying. 
The Masterton link you said, though, uh, Brad, was right. It's good that they uh, recognize Bobby Ryan. He has I had, wish they would pick more than one. Yeah, he has had the craziest life ever. And then it all came to a head this year, and he came out on the other side looking, you know, like a, a normal, happy human being who scored a hat-trick in his first home game back. It, <laughs> you almost can't beat it. He's one of the most observing Masterton Trophy winners of all time because it's meant for perseverance and dedication to the game of hockey. The guy played hockey the whole time. He had to move across the country because his dad was a wanted fugitive in the States and he had to change his name. And then he had to move to Canada, play in junior, and then makes the NHL, obviously had some demons in his closet, has the alcohol problem, like has to go to rehab in the middle of the season, comes back and does what he did this year. Like, I mean, Lynn Blom's going to win it next year, but Bobby Ryan was a no-brainer this year. I like that we don't have to argue about this one. Yeah, makes it easy. Everyone's a winner. Ryan's on mute. Oops. Isn't that your guys' dream? You don't have to listen to me or you just hear me babbling away and you can talk to yourselves? The silence was uh, quite enjoyable. <laughs> no, like you, I, we were talking about, I, I think it'd be nice for them to just pick however many deserving stories there are. If there's four, there's four. They're like, yeah, these four guys get the Masterton. Here's their stories. I don't really, I don't know. Totally okay with that. Yeah. All right. Prospect profile time. Let's do it. Because we have prospect stuff to talk about. That's not Alexander Holtz, but I want to open with our um, prospect profile again. Now that we are getting into crunch time. Oh, before that, actually, the NHL draft, they just moved up three days. Oh, that's going to change our calendar, isn't it? Yeah, we'll have to figure something out. Um, so the NHL draft was supposed to be October 9th and it is in 9th and 10th, and it is now October 6th and 7th. So instead of the usual Friday, Saturday, it is a Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, we will be adjusting. We'll have our normal uh, Winged Wheel podcast draft live streams. Um, so we'll be releasing all of our content prior to that and then uh, streaming with you on that day, um, possibly even round two as well. And then um, right after that will be our post-draft recap episode. So lots to come on that front. Um, just know that the draft is moved up three days. It's because of the start of free agency and everything. They had to figure something out and the draft came out the loser there. So what we are doing uh, leading up to the draft, which is now literally less than a month away, um, is covering every single possible Detroit Red Wings fourth overall pick. So not anything that can happen, you know, theoretically, like we're not going to cover Emil Andre as a possible fourth overall pick, like all of the likely fourth overall picks. We're going to be doing deep dives on all of them, analysis of their play, which we might have already done before for some of these guys. But then we're also going to be talking about where they would fit in the Red Wing system, the likelihood of that pick, how we would feel personally about that pick, um, what it would mean for who they would have to leave on the board, how big of a risk it would be. Pretty much looking at this from a completely Red Wings fourth overall centric angle, and then going from there. So today's is none other than Swedish sniper, the best goal scorer in the draft, Alexander Holtz. Well, if we're talking about fit and need, Alex Holtz checks those boxes in uh, two fronts. Big right shooting forward who can score and an absolute threat off the left half wall on the power play. Two things the Red Wings do not have at the moment. Um, Again, Holtz, as we've talked about at length, his shot is what's going to make him his money. 
but he's still a good, well-rounded offensive player. Not a great skater, not a bad skater. Bigger than Lucas Raymond and Cole Perfetti and all that. He's north of six feet tall, which helps. Um, his case versus them, at least. Not as dynamic as the other guys, but he gets any time and space in the offensive zone, and he can beat goalies from distance, and he can beat goalies from in tight. Um, again, right-handed shooting, power shot. <laughs> There's a reason why we've been petitioning for one of the guys, the Red Wings, to take a 32 is Tyson Forrester. This guy's just Tyson Forrester, except a lot better. So I don't peg him as an overly likely pick at number four because of, well, he's just not as dynamic and as skilled as the guys ahead of him, but he's not far off, not as far as people are making it out to be. This guy's a legit top five consideration for most teams. I say most teams, it's Detroit and Ottawa, really. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked if he goes fourth overall just because he fills direct needs for the Red Wings. Um, he's basically the opposite side, Philip Zadina, kind of. It's not the, now that I think about it, it's not the worst comparison in the world. Um, again, I don't think he's as dynamic as Zadina, but hey, here we are. We're covering every angle, and every week we're getting closer and closer to the likely picks, and Holtz isn't that far off. Yeah, Alex Holtz is is by far and gone the best uh, finisher in this draft. Like his shot is phenomenal, and he uses it a lot, which is good. You want your shooters to shoot. You don't want a trigger shy um, guy whose best talent is, is shooting the puck. That said, um, you did touch on it, Brad. I think he he is a little bit more of a well rounded player than he probably gets credit for. I think it's his decision to shoot more rather than his inability to uh, be a playmaker i think he actually has pretty decent playmaking ability it's a little bit harder to find that footage but watching him more i think the the inverse or, or flip side philip zadine is a good description i think if the red wings drafted holtz i don't i, I would be probably more excited about zadina just for his overall game but you could not hate how good of a goal scorer this guy could be um doesn't really have much to say for the defensive side of the game doesn't have a ton to say for skating, although I don't think it's a really a big issue. Uh, there's conversations about, is he shooting too much at the detriment of his teammates? Does he need to be able to have that playmaking touch? And I think if you have him on a top line, like let's say Detroit drafts him and he's playing with, um, you know, Mantha and Larkin, he's not going to not dish the puck. Uh, I don't know much about the, the depth uh, of the team that he was on in Sweden, but at the same time, I, I think he probably was the best shooter at all times by a good margin when he was in your garden. Like he, he's not, he's the best shooter in this draft, which means he he's always the go-to target on the ice, but that'll change at the NHL level. So I can see him adapting that. He has displayed it a little bit, a, a weaker draft. And you'd see this guy going top four or five in my mind, but there's just too much talent ahead of him, which is why he's not my preference for Detroit. Um, we were referring to Zadine a lot. And so two drafts ago, Detroit drafted someone who is a shooter, but I think a more well-rounded playmaker, a, a, a more defensively accountable player. So they're not completely identical, but I wouldn't want Holtz considering all of the, the needs on this team. I'd want a guy who could have a chance to play center or bring something different to the ice. For example, last year when, when Moritz Sider got picked right before that, we were practically shouting at the screen for elite play, playmaker Trevor Zegras. I would still like that elite playmaker to come. And, and though Alex Holtz doesn't have nothing to say for that, that's just not the strength of his game. 
No, he is a bit of a chameleon, though. Uh, you, you touched on it there. He can adapt his style of play. If he is not the best shooter on the ice, he can absolutely dish. And if not even the best shooter on the ice, if he doesn't have the shot, he he still knows what to do with the puck. He's not just going to fire it into somebody's shins like a Martin Firk would. He, he can dish it around. He can create some space, make the plays. Here's the thing, though. He will almost always be the best shooter on the ice. You put him on the Red Wings tomorrow, he has the best shot on the Red Wings. It's that good. So you want him shooting. When he's on the ice, the game plan should be get players on the ice with him who can get him the puck. So again, there's there's players like Lucas Raymond and Tim Stutzla, when they get the puck, they're making something happen for everybody, them and themselves. And that is true for Alex Holtz as well. Just not as well-rounded as them, not as good a playmaker as them. And obviously with his talent, it shouldn't be the game plan when he's on the ace. So the downside to that is it's easier to game plan against, but that's not in him. That's on his coach to figure out. So when you have that that special of a tool, you should use it every chance you get. Yeah, and it's the most important tool in hockey, right? Like, how do you get points on the board? You score goals. That's what coaches are looking for. Everything is leading up to scoring goals. So if you have a guy that is the best in the entire draft at doing the thing that wins you hockey games, that means a lot. So yeah, it's not a bad thing or it's not going to hold him down that he's not an elite level playmaker at all times. Um, and even then, like we just discussed, he, he can demonstrate an ability to dish the puck when needed. Um, the fact that he's not a defensive stalwart won't matter if this guy's going to net, you know, one or two goals for you in an important game. So. Alex Holtz to me is is the biggest uh, victim of a extremely strong draft. This is a guy who should be looking at a much higher draft position in the average draft year. Again, I don't think he's complaining, and I think the teams at picks you know six and beyond are going to be thrilled. And honestly, if you see him come uh, come up on the screen as high as four, don't be shocked. I wouldn't predict it. I would not predict it for Detroit. I don't really see him as being uh, head and shoulders above the other guys around him. I've seen arguments to have him at similar similar levels to Raymond and Perfetti and Rossi. I don't quite agree, but I, I wouldn't argue too much. Uh, but teams might look at that goal-scoring talent and say, yep, that's game-breaking. That's the elite talent that we want, and you don't pass up on that when it comes up because it doesn't come up that often. Hello. You must be Pierre Dorian. Lucas Raymond and Alex Holtz. The Raymond Holtz memes would be worth it. And obviously the Red Wings getting Stutzler would also be worth it. I wouldn't even criticize Ottawa for that. They were really good together when they played together. I mean, that's not what I would do, but we would benefit (laughs) greatly. Or the Red Wings would benefit greatly. Ottawa fans are all talking about getting Byfield or Stutzla and then Raymond. I'm like, do you guys really think you're walking away from this without Drysdale? And that's not a bad thing, but what I don't know. What do you two think? I, I don't see Ottawa walking away without Drysdale. I very much see a reality where Ottawa doesn't take Drysdale. It's because he's going before they get to pick. Oh, please let it happen. I would love to see that happen. I don't. Again, it's still too early to really put much stock into the rumors going around. But if the draft goes as the rumors have flown, it looks like Ottawa will be walking away with Byfield and Raymond. That's an insane haul. That is an absolutely insane haul. If the rumors hold up as true, which they almost never do. 
and they always change the week, like the day of the draft. We didn't know the Detroit Mort Cider connections till what, like an hour and a half, two hours before the draft. So, I mean, take it for what it's worth, but those in the know around Ottawa have, have linked linked them to Lucas Raymond, and people have been linking L.A. to Jamie Drysdale and Tim Stutzla. I mean, I don't see reality where Ottawa doesn't take Byfield at three if he's there at three. It'll hurt and, so much to see Byfield go third. And if Byfield goes three, that means the Red Wings probably stick with their original plan, as rumored, Perfetti. Yeah. So if Ottawa's linked to Raymond still, there's that. Although I don't, I it did not come from a good source, but I did see some rumblings that there were now Detroit Raymond connections. But whatever, I'm I didn't confirm that with anything so i'm not buying raymond's uncle is a season ticket holder in (laughs) 1985 he once played on a beer league team with hawk and anderson all right uh back to holtz just to wrap it up likelihood of holtz getting picked just pick an arbitrary percentage and what would your reaction be five percent and slight disappointment with intrigue yeah, I'd say I'm somewhere around the same as Brad, five to ten, five to nine percent. Um, oh, just go all in and say six to nine percent. We know six you to want 9%. to. Six to nine percent. Nice. Um, would I be upset? It all depends on who's still there. If we skip on Byfield or Stutzla to take Raymond or uh, Holtz, I'm probably uh, never coming on this podcast again. <laughs> um yeah, I, I like his skill set a lot, and I, yeah, I think this team could really use a shooter. So maybe I'd probably be upset. We all know me; I'm always upset. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: I like his skill set a lot too, but eventually someone's gonna have to bring the puck to the shooter. So if we keep taking shooters, well, we got a lot of guys who can't score, so maybe they can learn to do that. Yeah, that's true. No, I, I think it, I think we're talking about less than five percent chance here. I don't think he's the first person outside of the top three that Detroit's looking at, and that's literally who could, they get to pick from outside of the top three, or if one of the top three falls, right? So their fourth isn't the best pick here, quite obviously, but Detroit's not in a bad spot where they're drafting sixth or seventh, and there might be no one else left that they like. Um, how would I feel? I'm not going to lie to you. I wouldn't be thrilled with this one. Like it, it would be nothing against Holtz, but it would take me some time to get over leaving Raymond on the board, leaving um, maybe Stutzla on the board. I don't think there's a world where Byfield falls, so I won't even let myself hope. I, would, I wouldn't even feel better. I would rather take the swing on Perfetti. You know, all talk about his skating and concerns with that aside, like I'd rather take a swing on Perfetti and have the elite playmaking talent that he could possibly be. I'd rather swing and miss on that one. But then again, it's much easier to stomach that when this guy's netting 40 goals a year, right? So if that's what he turns out to be, then we look like shitheads. So, and it's such a fine margin. I wouldn't want him at four for Detroit because I think he would be taken in lieu of players who I'd much prefer. But I think he'd be a steal at six or seven in terms of the talent that you would usually get there at those years. Position over perceived value, basically. Yeah. Holtz is at the end of my list of players where I'm not rioting if we pick him is probably yeah. the best way to put it. I've yeah. I've got seven or eight guys right now that I'm like, yeah, okay, that, that's fine. And he's in it, but he's, he's the end of it. In terms of me saying like... I. I'll phrase it this way. Like 
on the live stream, I'll be able to come up with some positives to talk about. There's a line below that line is like, no, I, I literally cannot come up with anything other than anger. And above it, it's like, yeah, sure, I'm disappointed, but I can still bring this into a, like, talk about this constructively. Holtz is just above that line. And I think Sanderson is just below that line for me. Yeah, it's about right. He's got a good enough skill set where I'm like, all right, let's see what this kid can do at the NHL level. So I'm yeah. not like super upset. I'm intrigued, but yeah, there's a lot of other guys who would be far more happy with. I mean, if this kid pops off for 30, 30 every like regularly in the NHL and you got him at fourth overall, that's, that's a win by a value standpoint for whatever that's worth. So you always got to factor that in. Yeah. We're talking about this with the perspective of the draft now. If he pans out and turns into a 35-40 goal scorer, he'll likely be one of the top five players in the draft because not everyone in every top five always pans out. It almost never happens that way. So um, there's a lot of retroactive analysis that needs to happen far down the line, but hopefully by then we'll be smarter about it. Um, okay, so that's our uh, review on Alex Holtz. Stay tuned for more next episode. We are going to quickly transition into a conversation um, very lightly about Lucas Raymond. As we talked about, because the SHL is playing their preseason games, they just wrapped it up today, players like Lucas Raymond and Alex Holtz are going to get more exposure and they are going to climb draft boards and they're going to climb in the public opinion and they're going to get more exposure. And in the case of Lucas Raymond, whose draft stock probably fell due to underexposure with Ferlunda last year, you are now seeing a lot more conversation about him. I don't think it's crazy that Ottawa takes him third to protect against Detroit taking him. It's not the craziest thing in the world. And here, here's the craziest part about it. Lucas Raymond might be the third best player in this draft. Many people have him number three on the boards, which is weird, though. When you go to the, look at a lot of the consolidated rankings, he's like six, seven, eight on most. It seems insane to me, but whatever. Here we are. Dude has a big day. He's only had one one game now. He had, what, a goal and a shootout goal. Everybody's all over the Raymond hype train now. We knew this was going to happen for some guys. We didn't know exactly who. We figured Holtz and Raymond would be the best bet, and I specifically said their names in that order to not get Ryan too excited. But, I mean, there, the Ottawa might literally, beginning of the season, be damned. Just look at it and go, yeah, we liked him better. What do you want from us? We thought he was a better player, and to which most people will go, okay, yeah, we see it. But I sit on my couch and watch 30 NHL games a year. <laughs> wow, is that a real description of a lot of the Twitter the, the, the Twitter bots? For, for what it's worth, too, how little people form their own opinions. Go back to any Red Wings Twitter, Reddit thread, Facebook feed, if you dare, and, and look at where the preferences for the Red Wings picks at fourth overall were. You saw a lot of Stutzla, a lot of Raymond, a lot of Drysdale. As soon as that Perfetti rumor started going out there, as soon as it started, he's now the consensus favorite pick among the fan base. There was a, a poll on Reddit today. Who would be your favorite pick at fourth overall, assuming Stutzla, Byfield, Lafreniere are gone? Perfetti in a runaway. Wasn't even talked about by most Red Wings fans six months ago, and here we are. So never underestimate the power of confirmation bias. I think, I think, yeah, exposure bias definitely has something to play in here. But you also have to consider a lot of fans don't do what we do and start watching film as our like. When would when did we start watching film on prospects a year ago <laughs> for this draft or like yeah, in general? 
for this draft? Um, usually I start to do mild and, and very light research about two months before the previous draft. Yeah. So we're talking more than a year in advance. I personally didn't start in earnest until January and I thought I was behind the ball. Um, you know, none of us are, are paid to do draft stuff specifically, but we put a lot of work into our, our draft research. Um, if it, and we're still like amateur at it a lot of people a lot of fans don't do that so of course they're gonna say oh yeah the red wings are linked to perfetti we're gonna look at perfetti not only that perfetti played in saginaw like he has michigan exposure he was a michigan commit like they they know who the guy is and they've watched him play so i think it's perfectly fair and normal for them to to like perfetti um and at the same time it's not that people can't like perfetti i absolutely see arguments for fourth overall perfetti it's that they didn't until the Red Wings were linked to him. It's yeah, but that's comp- fine. It's, it's fine, but it's confirmation bias, and people need to be aware of that. It's exposure bias, Brad. Come on. It's both. <laughs> it's uh, Even if they're aware of that, the... <sighs> I don't know. I don't want to say draft is a like the draft is a guessing game because then what are we arguing about? It's nothing. But the exposure bias and the confirmation bias, I I think, is okay and it's healthy because it's not born of just uh, you know Joe Schmo or Evan Lobsinger or some other meathead wrote an article about why Cole Perfetti is absolutely the best overall, the best option for Detroit at number four, but. Evan is just a talking head, right? If this is a, a link that's coming from the the team itself, that is going to get people to take a closer look. And upon taking a closer look, they will probably see the underlying stuff about Perfetti. Perfetti's skating and Perfetti's pace has been the biggest knock against him. And I still hold that. Like I, I still can't let go of that concern, but that's why he's he was still lower on my board and still in my mind is below Raymond in terms of my preference. But it encourages people to take a longer look. And that's probably why... A few of them are, are, are looking at Perfetti differently. And honestly, I say this every time. You add a, a good set of skates on Perfetti, you're talking about a top three draft pick right here, bar none. Like the guy is, is a, his, his hockey, hockey IQ, which one Brad Crisco always tells is the most important skill, is the best in the draft probably, or among it. It's elite. But you know who else has very high hockey IQ and is a better skater? Lucas Raymond. <laughs> is, is his skating better than uh is i don't know how to phrase this because i have i'm just completely is blank his today. skating enough to make up for the gap between his and perfetti's hockey iq yeah i don't have that big of a gap between perfetti and raymond's hockey iq so i will say yes and that's perfectly fair that said i don't i don't think it's bad that the the fans of any team run away with one player just because of that exposure. But it does really lend to the fact that I think to Brad's point here, guys like Raymond who get buried on the fourth line, they get burned a lot. And that's how people get surprised by picks. Raymond was buried on the fourth line on an extremely strong for London team in the SHL. And now that he's getting a little bit more exposure, people are understanding what um, analysts and rankings are talking about when we say, yeah, Lucas Raymond is an absolutely complete winger and he can drive offense from the wing. Like he would, he's in terms of overall talent, he is probably the third or fourth best player in this draft. Anyways, that's my diatribe. That's my, my ramble right there. Um, if Lucas Raymond goes third and, and Stutzel falls to four, I really won't be upset. And if, if, oh, I will not be true, upset at all. 
yeah, if all things hold true and Stutzler still goes third and, and Raymond goes fourth, I still won't be upset. And honestly, yeah, if Detroit takes Perfetti and if Detroit takes Rossi, I pretty much won't be upset. As long as it's not, I, I don't see any kind of like disappointed or remotely negative reaction coming from me unless it's someone way off the board. I don't know if I can do another Mo Sider situation. Nope. Like I said, I've got my list. Byfield, Stutzla, Raymond, Rossi, Perfetti, Drysdale, Holtz. I, I'm more disappointed than others and not, but I would not be angry with any of them. Yeah. All right. That is uh, draft talk for this episode. Time to head into overtime. Yes. Cool. All right. Uh, overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is Patreon exclusive because this is a midweek episode. Um, our patrons are the ones who make this show happen. So thank you all so much for contributing to the show and allowing us to um, exist and continue, especially during this long off season. We are going to start with um, Matt Whip, who says, "Hey boys, I saw the Wings might be interested in PK Subban's contract. What would that? What would you look for in that trade? Maybe Mackenzie Blackwood or one of their first round picks." Wait, are we saying that Subban would be a, a cap dump and thus we would get assets to take PK Subban? Mm-hmm. Not happening. He's still viewed as valuable around the league. Not at that contract. So New Jersey might, if New Jersey retained salary, like let's say they retained 2 million of his contract, they would get a, a decent return for PK Subban. They're not giving up their starting, their literal starting goalie to give us PK Subban. Uh, Mike Babcock is a douche canoe says Babcock sucks sweaty balls and is a douche canoe. If caps Uh, choose him, I'm going to be one angry caps fan. Uh, Maria Beekman says, I haven't watched a full game in about five years. It just got too depressing. Can you give me your three stars of the team? People to watch to get me back in. Who is the future of the Red Wings? Thanks boys. Um, if we're going to focus on this upcoming season as to where all your attention should go, if you want to be happy, Larkin, Mantha, Zadina. Yeah. And if uh, if they're uh, heroic cider, if you want to get brave and look at the defense. Yeah, I would say cider is probably if you haven't seen heroic, watch heroic with cider as well. So if you, if you want to throw in some defense in there, uh, Dylan Krill says, hey, guys, what are your opinions on the following players? Where do you think they go in the draft? And would you want the wings to select them? Uh, Daniil Gushin, Lucas Cormier, Brett Berard and Emil Heineman. Thanks. Okay, um, let's go Lucas Cormier first. I'm going to say mid-second round. Uh, I would not be upset if the Red Wings took him at 46, but I probably would be at 32. Uh, Daniil Gushin, I'd be a little more comfortable at 32, but still wouldn't do it. Um, and then, who is it, Berard and Heinemann? I'm going to say third round and I wouldn't be devastated if the Red Wings did. They probably aren't my favorite picks in that range, but uh, I think once you get past like 50 in this draft, it's pretty wide open. Yeah. I have Berard pretty firmly like outside of the top two rounds. So um, third round there. I, I don't know when you're talking about players that in the second and third round, the only ones the only pick in the second round that I can claim to really be passionate about is pick 32, because I think that's where you can get a definite first round talent. I'm not even sure if I'm thinking about the right person with Berard, but I'm too tired to care. Uh, Joe D'Elia says, sup guys, is Vegas the most universally loved team remaining? With Robin Lehner's story, Shea Theodore beating testicular cancer, plus Ryan being a simp from Mark Stone. Pretty sure if he started in OnlyFans, Ryan would go broke. <laughs> Anyways, between the three of you, you're all hired by a team. Who's the scout, scout coach and GM? 
Thanks, guys. Evan's coach. He's got the coach's uh, stoicism. Uh, I'm going to say Brad's the scout, even though he'll hate the answer because he'll want to be the GM, but Brad's the scout out of the three of us. So it's just the reality of it. I get GM not because I'd be the best at it, just that process of elimination. Evan, would you be happy as head coach? Sure. Would you prefer GM? No. No, all right. I want to be down in the trenches. <laughs> Michael Barry, Evan could pull off not celebrating a cup winning goal and just shaking your assistant coach's hand like no one else that I know. <laughs> I think I'd be a f- I think I'd be one of those coaches that gives the old fist bump and gets into it. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Barry says, "Hey guys, hope all is well. Will Tampa get back assets if they trade Yanni Gord or Tyler Johnson? They have big long-term contracts. Just curious. Oh god, yeah, for those guys. Yeah." Yeah, Gord more than Johnson just because of age, but yeah, those guys are still viewed as usable players. Also, are there any upcoming undrafted free agents that we could pick up, or is it too far out because you think a Michigan team should be able to attract talent like Tampa did with the following two players, or like their top prospect, Alex Barre Boule? Alex um, Barboule? Alex Alex Barboule. Barre Boule, I think, but um, that sounds weird. Um. I haven't followed there. There's not a lot of big CHL players that are coming up like Boulay for undrafted free agents. And admittedly, I I've heard it's not a strong NCAA crop, but I have not looked into it. Um, also, do you play fancy football and do you have any sleepers sleepers? Um, there's, in a thin running back year, there's actually a ton of good running back, like upside players, but there are shots in the dark. Um, someone who might be overlooked is Debo Samuel in San Fran. He's a wide receiver. And then I picked Jarek McKinnon up as a, uh, as running back depth. So take a look at him if you don't have a lot. Clyde Edwards Hilaire might be worth a top five pick by the end of the year. Uh, Josh Terrell says, Dub Dub, what do you guys believe is the number one indicator of a potential bust for top 15 picks? I know there's no surefire metric, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Personally, it seems to be the power forwards have a decent bust rate over the last decade. Thanks as always. Size is the number one tool that gets overrated in the draft. I knew draft. Brad was going to say that. Size time doesn't time. matter. It, it, it matters, but it shouldn't be the only thing that matters. And when you look back through a lot of historical draft busts, or even guys that I'm not going to call bust turned into usable NHLers, but did not live up to their... Hey, remember when Lawson Cross was a top 10 pick? Um, Dylan McElrath was a top 10 pick. That's the most overrated skill. And thankfully, in this draft, it doesn't look like there's any of those guys that really fit that bill. So, um, I don't know. If we're looking at this draft specifically, you look at the guys that just don't have the hockey IQ and there's again there's not many of them I really like the top 10 in this draft the only reason Brad says size is because he's actually 5'1 um I wear guys who aren't actually 4'11 <laughs> uh guys who have a lot of raw talent but not the hockey IQ you see sometimes just they they sputter they they can't adjust to the NHL or the pro game Yakaruta says hello guys figures I'd say hello Figured I'd say hello once every few comments to the question. Vancouver is apparently unwilling to part ways with high picks to get rid of bad contracts. Would the willing would the wings still be willing to take on bad contracts, even if it meant only getting back Vertanen or Stetcher? Stetcher is 26 and not a true top four defender, and Vertanen seems like a problem child. Also, Brad Kalorn is not a center. Tyler Johnson is a center. Ah well. Um 
No, the Detroit should not take on any of Vancouver's contracts for that kind of a return. That's no bueno. There are other teams in cap dire situations that will give up more. Call Tampa, call St. Louis, call Toronto, call... There's probably a half dozen other teams I'm not even mentioning. If Vancouver doesn't want to pay the price, I won't call them stupid for it, but I don't really think they're going to let go of those contracts and you don't you don't just take on contracts like that for no reason. Um, they're not going to get help. And if someone does help them, then they're the stupid ones. Uh, you just wait them out. They're the ones under pressure. And they want also, to succeed. Yeah. And also they have the Jakob Markstrom wild card. If they do not resign him and believe Thatcher Demko is the future, they are not nearly in as big a trouble as it would seem they are. They're not in a good spot, but they're not hemorrhaging cap space either. The towering behemoth Leviathan says Benning has stated that the Canucks want to keep Markstrom and sounds like they're ready to pay the man. This should make DiPietro surplus to requirements, right? How do you rate him? Louis Erickson, DiPietro, and a pick for our peanuts. Oh, almost forgot the behemoth will solve all of our center worries for the next decade. He's um, talking about Soderblom. Okay. Um, so here's my thoughts on DiPietro. I've actually for whatever reason caught a lot of Kitchener Windsor games live in Kitchener when DiPietro was with Windsor and at the junior level the kid was nuts I, I still remember one game Windsor won 2 nothing. I swear to God it felt like the Rangers outshot them 70 to 12 and, and he was just a freak here's the thing though he's not big and you can't make him bigger and NHLers have better shots more precision there are not many small goalies in the NHL anymore. Like, if you look up the list of NHL goalies under six foot two, you would be shocked how few of them there are. So, man, as much as I, I believe in Di Pietro's talent, I, I just don't know if he'll have it at the next level. Cause look at as good as UC Saros is, he's struggling. The only truly small goalie that's played well consistently for the last 10 years is Yarrow Halak. That's it. Uh, Chris B says, what's up guys? Can you think of any prospects that may have fallen out of favor with other organizations that you'd be interested in trying to trade for at a discount? I liked Casey Middlestad a lot during his draft and draft plus one years, but he just hasn't been able to find his way in the tire fire that is Buffalo. I don't know what it would take to get him, but that's the type of player I take a shot at. Thanks. I don't see them parting with Middlestad for little. I don't know. This is a question where like Sonny Milano would have been a good answer, but they were patient with him and it seems to be a good project since then. He's in Anaheim now. Oh, so they did move him. When did they move him? This year. Trade deadline? Believe so. Jesus. This is not my episode, eh? <laughs> it's okay. At least you came up with an answer. I'm I'm really struggling to think of a, a reasonable one right now. Admittedly, I haven't been paying a ton of attention to other teams prospects, you know, given the draft coming up, uh, scrambling to think of a couple off my Jake Bean in Carolina, maybe comes to yeah. mind. Toronto has been big on him. Yeah. Well, I mean, Toronto, man, I, I still want to see the Red Wings maybe do something. Speaking of Toronto for Jeremy Brocco, God, Detroit needs a playmaker on their second power play. So desperately. And, I mean, Jeremy Bracco is not a well-rounded player, but he might be the best passer in the entire AHL right now. So if they could get him reasonably cheap, 
that that's probably a gamble worth taking and he still hasn't got a chance in uh Toronto. Edmonton's got a number of defensemen in in Bakersfield that are probably worth taking a look at. I'm starting to run some blanks now. Sonny Milano for Devin Shore. Yeah, I guess Milano, I don't know. Maybe he didn't have as good of a year as I thought he did. Uh that the the name of this next commenter is who is the Braden point of the 2020 draft? And the question is, who is the Braden point of the 2020 draft? I hate all of you. If we're going by stylistic comparisons, well, it's Cole Perfetti. But if we're talking about uh, late round, third round picks that could just explode. I mean, teams learned their lesson with Braden point. So I don't see any obvious candidates. That's the thing with Braden point. He was dominant in the WHL, his draft year. He should have never not been a first round pick. He should have never not been a top 15 pick. It was just teams got hung up on his skating and his, and he performed poorly at the combine. So, I mean, looking around, if I had to pick some high scoring CHL players that are getting ranked lower because of some perceived skating flaws or others, I'll go with Jacob Perot or Ozzy Weisblatt. Cause why not? Brett S says, Hey fellows, I found myself down an elite prospects hole and found my way to the Charlotte, the Charlotte checkers. Uh, Oliver Kasky scored 11 goals in 35 games with them. I know they're a much better team, but should we be looking at a coaching change in the whole organization to help with development? Thanks, Brett. Yes. And yeah, but yeah. I mean, De- I, we've been, we've been beating that drum for a couple of years now. At least uh, Denny OD says, as far as Holtz, I'm not sure why. I just think he's going to be picked by the wings. It's not because he's a Swede. It's just a gut feeling. Not sure how I feel about it. Maybe you guys will make me feel better about picking him at number four after this episode is up. Hot take time. I heard Kipper at noon mention it, and it's something that I've thought uh, about since before the play-in. I'm of the belief that the Habs will leave Price unprotected for the expansion draft, no matter how well he plays next year. As much as Montreal loves Price, I think they'd be okay with getting out of that contract. Hey, another reason to not pick Askarov fourth overall. Seattle will have their flurry. I, they can leave him unprotected. I'm not sure Seattle takes him. That's a pretty massive contract for a goalie. And I'm not sure. Montreal just traded for Jake Allen. I don't think they're super confident in many of their goaltending prospects right now. Uh, Evan Beckner says, hey, gents. So we've heard about Domi from Antha from Montreal fans and have pretty much filtered out that nonsense. However, Montreal's young centers have stepped up and Domi now finds himself potentially third on the depth chart. If Montreal doesn't want to pay him, chances are he'll be moved. Is there a reality where Stevie says, hey, what's up to Montreal and swings the deal without putting Mantha in play? Wings need centers and Domi uh, fits the 2C need. He might cost more than we would want to pay, but we have a ton of second rounders and he's a similar age to the rest of the Wings core players. Food for thought. I don't love Domi as a player. I especially don't love him as a second line C. Not willing to... And he's older, too. I think I'd rather roll the dice on getting a Max Domi-type player in the second round than actually getting Max Domi. Uh, Joseph Fournier says, Hey there, fellas. If the Coyotes relocate again, they'll go to an equivalent TV market, Houston. We would all leave, we would all love to see another team in Quebec City, but I'm willing to bet that's where the Senators end up down the road. I've said this before. The notion that Eisenman loves big Russian goalies is false. He's only ever drafted one, and it was in the first round. Vasilevsky in the historically bland 2020-12 draft. The next best player after Vas that draft, all in the way in the fifth round, Connor Hellebuck. Um, ser- seriously, go look. Also, Eisenman's history of drafting goalies. One in the third, two each in the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. He's not going to draft Askarov fourth. I will eat an entire bag of cheese if this happens. 
When you're holding on to your offensive outbursts uh, for the conference finals, store your goals in a stay fresh cheese bags to keep them fresh. Stay fresh cheese bags. How big is this bag of cheese? Because I might almost start rooting for Askarov just to see that. Yeah. Liz B says, which team wins a playoff game first? The Wings or the Lions? Ugh. Sad to say, but the Lions. Um, it's got a beer. I'm going to go with Giant Meteor. <laughs> All right. With that, we are going to wrap up uh, this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Guys, we will be back on Sunday. Uh, we will talk to you about some adjusted plans because the draft got moved up. So we're probably going to have to cram in some prospect profiles, might have some double up episodes. And uh, yeah, still plenty more to come before the draft, less than a month away. So we'd like to thank all of our listeners, um, all of our patrons, our name level sponsors, the septic tank of that bitch, Carol Baskins, Greech, Arjun Shanker, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Mike, Mike Babcock, uh, is a douche canoe, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M, Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kalen Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, Obir Juan Kenobi, Trevor Pevavar, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. I'm going to drink 10 gallons of tea. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.